0: What is good, Alaska? This is Scott Levesque, and you're listening to the midweek edition of our Must Read Alaska podcast. Thanks for joining with me today. Before we get started, and you guys know this if you've been a long-time listener, I got to ask you. Take just one minute and give us a five-star review. It is extremely helpful. It's great to see all of the participation in that from our listeners. And we just would appreciate a five-star review. It helps us in many ways, including when people are searching for the podcast or maybe looking up different topics that we touch on every week. In addition to that, if you got another minute, I'd love for you to be able to give us a written review. Our listeners have been extremely positive. It's been great. You can see the reviews uh, up on iTunes. It's, it's one of those things that we appreciate our listeners because they've been just instrumental in helping this podcast grow. And it's only going to get bigger because of listeners like you. So please, go ahead, take a minute, give us at least a five-star review. And if you're so inclined, go ahead and give us a written review as well. We would greatly appreciate it. Well, listen, there is a lot going on both at the federal, state, and local level in politics. Never sleeps, never quits. But we've got some things to talk about today, and I want to touch on a couple topics briefly and then dive into uh, some of the more meatier topics, because I think at a state level, there's a lot of different things going on right now, right? Obviously, we're looking at heading into the summer, our our tourism, particularly in Southeast and and getting up here into the Anchorage area. And then again, it's spiders from there. I mean, tourism in Alaska is is such a pervasive thing, particularly in the road system and its Southeast, that it's a lifeblood of what we do here. And yet, there are some people, particularly in Juneau, who think, nah, I don't think we want cruise ships. I don't think we want tourism. Listen, we're just fine without them. We spent a whole year without them. We're good. We don't need that. And I'm not sure if I'm the only one here who thinks this, but has 2020 created such a fog in people's mind that they think that now they don't need business? I mean, I know here in Anchorage, we've seen the graveyard of small businesses out there. Close and never come back. Family, nest eggs, fortunes, whatever you want to call it, people's livelihoods down the tube, and yet we still have people out there who are maintaining that. Nah, nah. Tourism? What do we need that in Southeast? Why do we need tourism? We're just fine without it. I, I don't know what's going on. I honestly do not know what's going on. But in particular, in Juno, there is a group called Cruise Control. That is, submitted a letter. They didn't get enough signatures uh, by the deadline, but they submitted a letter to the mayor in Juneau and the assembly that is essentially saying this. Juneau residents have a real issue with cruise tourism impacts in our community that require a strong show of leadership from the assembly. We have waited for decades for C J, sorry, CBJ leaders to act. The time is now. Now, this is going to be, I'm reading this from our uh, our article here on Must Read Alaska called Juno Anti-Cruise Group says not enough people signed petition, but group still has demands, which is like a petulant child kicking and screaming, getting, trying to get what they want. The three petitions, reading this from the article, if they had made it to the ballot this October, would have asked voters to limit cruise ships to 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., no Saturday visits, no cruise ships over three a uh, hundred thousand gross tonnage, and together they would el- eliminate about seventy percent of the tourism economy of Juno. What in God's green earth is going on? What is going on? Aside from Juno being the state capital, which means legislator runs through there, which means you have, you know, economy quote unquote from you know the legislative body. Uh, flights going in and out. Why would you do this if you're in the Southeast, period, let alone Juno? Why would this be something you would want to do when you would lose 70% of your tourism economy by, by, by these demands, quote unquote, that they're listing? What are we up to right now? What is going on? I'm not 100% sure. Let's go, let's, let's move on. McCau Pierre, I think I'm saying that name right, who has been at the forefront of the group opposing the ballot initiative, said that in a recent poll his group did, 84% of Juno respondents support the cruise industry, while 16% do not. Well, geez, and crackers. Man, does that sound familiar? Catering to the minority because they're the loudest? 84% of Juno respondents support cruise industry, while 16% did not. This is a time in our country, that is has been appalling in my books. While the loudest minority move the needle, move politics, move legislation, while the, the silent majority sit there and do nothing. Now, granted, in this particular case, signatures were not garnered. And, and again, we could talk about how signatures are, are, are actually taken and, and how that whole process goes and also about people actually reading what they're signing. But aside from that, Aside from that, I, I am terribly confused and concerned about what's going on right now. You have a group that is trying to limit the cruise tourism industry in Juneau, which is a massive industry in the southeast, because they don't like how it's do, what's doing to their community. You mean like pumping money through it? Is that what you don't like? You don't like that people have jobs and have businesses and are able to make money off those who get off the cruise ship? For crying out loud, Don Young and essentially every major federal legislator in Alaska got a bill passed so that cruise ships can bypass Canada to get to southeast. What are we doing here? What are we doing? We are biting the hand that feeds us is what we're doing. And I don't know if we think there's more government money coming so that you can sustain yourself through another year without tourism, which is not the case because this was going to be a long-term push but come on man like what are we doing now listen i'm going to give you the news but i'm also going to give you this perspective i am done i am on the i am on the real early end of millennial right so there's a special category everybody's got a special category i don't mean this in in the sense that i'm special i mean this in the sense that i'm a part of the analog and digital worlds meaning i remember still using a typewriter not having a computer not having a cell phone and at the same time, in my adult life, I've had all those things at an early age, 16, 17 on. So I'm a part of that, what they call millennials. I'm, I'm, a, I'm in that like weird spot between Gen X and millennials. And I'm telling you this because I, I want you to know my mindset. My father was much older. He was born in 1939. So I don't have this mindset of I deserve everything. As a matter of fact, participation awards, I don't know when they started entering youth sports. And I know this is a trope for many curmudgeoned conservatives. Maybe It's not even a conservative thing. People that just don't think we should just give handouts. But i got to tell you, this is crazy. This is crazy. And me sitting here reading and and, and learning about some of these things that are going on, like cruise control, a group limiting the tourism industry in the Southeast, which is a staple there, along with fishing, and cutting tourism by 70% is insane. It makes no sense to me. And I don't know what's going on, and I don't know why people think this is a great idea. But the reality is, is that the money runs through Juno with tourism, and to cut seventy percent of that, you might as well kiss your industry goodbye. Because, listen, I don't know how much more money that the federal government can hand out, but at some point we all run dry. Or even worse, at some point, the note is due. So listen, don't be cutting out industry. Don't be cutting out economic uh, viability. Because you think you're going to get taken care of, or you think this, or you think that. Know where the economy comes from and encourage the flourishment of that. Encourage it. And speaking of economy in Alaska, let's, let's just slide right away from Juno and this cruise control group to our friends in the Biden administration, who uh, this week decided to just close down Anwar. That's right. The department again this is up on Must Read Alaska so I'm going to read from the article here a Biden administration takes back Anwar is the title here. The Department of the Interior today and again when I say today that was June 1st suspended all activities related to the coastal plain oil and gas leasing program in Anwar pending completion of a comprehensive analysis under the National Environmental Policy Act which could take years. Now, if those of you that are not familiar with politics, that's called putting it in purgatory. Now, let's read on, because there's some interesting. This is a bit of theater, writes Suzanne. The Biden administration last week decided to defend the BLM decision, okay, Bureau of Land Management, to allow the Willow Project to go forward in the National Petroleum Reserve, Alaska. That project is subject to a lawsuit by the Center of Biological Diversity, but with Biden's just... Uh, Justice Department signaling it will defend the project. It appears to be going forward. But to appease the environmentalists angry with the will decision, ANWAR is going to be off limits in spite of the fact that Congress determined lease sales could go ahead and the leases were sold January 6th before Trump left office. Again, we are talking about the federal government strictly coming in to state affairs And this is the problem we have here in Alaska. The majority of the land in Alaska is owned by the federal government. It just is. The majority is held and owned by the federal government. So, at the whims of the president now, now that we have this nice thing called an executive order, which every president now, starting with Bush, intensifying with Obama, these executive orders. So now... Our state is held captive. It's hostage to the Biden administration and now environmental zealots. Listen, have you been to Anwar? Has anybody been up there that are making these decisions? Do you know what's up there? Does anybody know what's up there? Now, I haven't been to Anwar, but I have been to Barrow. It's flat. It's tundra land. It's mosquito ridden. What are we doing? We have now taken away energy energy. Independence and moved it overseas again. Not only that, but we've taken it away from Alaskans' pockets. We are now moving our energy dependence to overseas again. Surprise, surprise. So now, because the Willow Project is going to move forward, and the Justice Department and the Biden administration is going to support that project moving forward, which essentially means it's a green light. Now, we're going to take away the Anwar leases. Great. Awesome. Which means there's no development of oil, which means jobs are going to be lacking up there. It's, it's a disaster. It's a, it's a disaster. Remember, oil and gas is a major, major economic engine for the state. It is. When it comes to local jobs and all of that, when it comes to exporting that, moving that down the pipeline, when it comes to uh, our dividend fund, a lot a lot of that economic viability stays here in Alaska. Not all of it. Not all of it. But pumping gas and oil, natural gas, crude oil, whatever it is, getting that from our state is a big deal. And now we're playing like, well, we're going to support this. So so you don't get mad at us, Green deal- New Dealers. So you don't get mad at us, squad, AOC. We're going to go ahead and just shut down Anwar. We're not going to let anybody do any development at all. It's over. It's done for at least the next three and a half years. Great. Awesome. Again, it, it's amazing. It is amazing. So let's, let's do some quotes here. The Alaska Oil and Gas Association responded. We are disappointed in the administration's decision to suspend all oil and gas leases in the Alaska Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, ANWR. Leasing and development of the coastal plain has been a priority of the state, the North Slope, the Arctic ASRC, uh, All it goes on and on about who was involved in that, and countless other stakeholders since 1987 when the Department of Interior first recommended that action be taken. The development of Alaska's oil and gas resources has produced enormous economic, social, and scientific benefit while simultaneously minimizing environmental impacts and protecting all Alaska's natural resources. So essentially what they're saying is, listen, we have been working on this for years. And now when we finally get motion on it, and again, I don't understand why the Trump administration took this long. This should have been done Again, I don't know the red tape behind the scenes. I'm sure there's plenty of it. But this should have been done far, far in advance, before two weeks, two and a half weeks before the administration was done. There's no reason why this should have taken forever. But here we are. Kelly Chewbacca, who's running for... U.S. Senate right now against Lisa Murkowski, as it stands, had the following to say, following six decades of fighting for access to Anwar, this is disastrous news for Alaska workers, our economy, our national security, the environment. It is yet another case of the federal government treating Alaska like a national park for the rest of the country while trampling our state sovereignty. Well, not only that, Kelly, but even those who want to turn it into a national park also want to get rid of the tourism. It's amazing. She goes on to say, this is exactly what we expected from Joe Biden and his band of environmental extremists, but it should be especially distressing to Alaskans that Lisa Murkowski had a hand in this. She fought President Trump every step of the way, opposing his election in 2016 and his reelection in 2020, even though his policies were very beneficial to Alaska, including opening ANWR for cleaner and greener oil exploration. So she's... uh. She's going ahead there and just making sure she ties Lisa Murkowski's name to the fact that Anwar is being shut down, which in some sense makes sense, right? Trump was extremely kind when it came to opening up Alaska. The Pebble Mines, you know, his son had a play in that in, in trying to get that shut down. But as far as gla- gas exploration and, and becoming energy independent, absolutely. Absolutely. Trump was all about that. I mean, there's no, there's, him and the Biden administration could not be more polar opposite. The problem was it took till three and a half, uh, less than, more than that, three years and 11 months and two and a half weeks before we finally got those leases out. And the problem with that is, is that nobody could do anything in two weeks. You can't mobilize that quickly. So here you have it it's shut down. And again, I I think in the beginning of Kelly's um, statement there, it's disastrous news for Alaska workers, our economy, our national security, and the environment. Listen, we can't do exploration well without actually exploring. You could do all the hypothetical models you want to do, but at the end of the day, until you're on the field doing it, it, it really is tough. And again, the most important thing is that Alaska's economy, a pillar is oil and gas. It just is. That's our state. Our state is resource rich. And I know environmentalists don't like that, but it's the reality. Unless you want to go back to not having cell phones. Here's the real reality, people. Let's just just call it what it is. We are shipping everything overseas. We are going to become importers again as opposed to exporters. We're going to become dependent as opposed to independent. And that's the truth. That is the real truth. Look what's going on right now with the hacking of the gas lines and in the the meat industry. I mean, it is insane what's going on out there. Now we are so dependent that this is this is going to create an entire scenario that is not going to be great, and we're seeing it already. We are seeing it already, but you know what? It's up to us to change. It's up to us to try to figure out ways. I mean, I know Governor Dunleavy is trying all he can from the state level to try to to try to figure out how we can reclaim that. I mean, I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you take back federal lands and make them state lands. It's amazing. It's amazing to me that the, the, the federal government controls the majority of the state. It is amazing to me. And it's, it is brutal. Well, let's transition here. Let's talk about oil and gas, and let's talk about the permanent fund. Okay? The permanent fund this week... Well, I shouldn't say this week. It was really last week, but hit eighty billion. Why is that important to you? Well, let me tell you why it's important to you. It hit eighty billion, which means that, did, based on the model that we have in place, which is not being followed, we should every Alaskan should receive over three thousand dollars in the PFD. So, what's going on right now? Well, I can tell you this: the House has appropriated nothing. And the Senate has voted on a $2,300 dividend, which, if you've been here for a little bit, you know that's more than we've received in the past couple of years. However, according to the formula, we should be getting over $3,000 this year. We won't, but we should be getting over that. Particularly this year, based... I mean, listen, the, the federal government and the state have been handing out money left and right. This permanent fund... It's something that's run, that's supposed to be – we're supposed to have the dividend off of what we're uh, – how well we're doing in the portfolio. So, of course, that would be more legitimate in giving away all that money than what we've been getting, meaning, meaning why are we not following the formula and why are we trying to take our state budget and turn it black into the black as opposed to following what's, what's been in place? That's the question. And listen, this has been a tool used in campaigns for the last few years. Governor Dunleavy talked about it during his campaign. This last election cycle, the PFD was a major component. It's why Kathy Giesel lost her seat. It's why a lot of other Republicans who voted for the state to take half, if not more, to turn the budget black into the black. I mean, listen. The PFD is a sacred cow here in Alaska, and it's only intensifying in terms of being a hot-button issue. It, it just is, and so now the permanent fund has reached over eighty billion, which means we should be getting over a three thousand-dollar PFD. There's nothing happening in the House. The Senate has voted on a twenty-three hundred-dollar dividend, and now we just wait and see. I know the governor has proposed, uh, you know, putting the formula into the Alaska Constitution which would require us to vote on that, the people. And that might help solve and mitigate some of these issues when using this formula as a tool or not even or not even acknowledging that the formula is there and just taking whatever the state wants and giving the rest of the people. I mean, it's insane how this PFD has blown up into a cr- in crazy matter. It really is insane. But yet here we are. Here we are. But it, listen... I think the best thing that the governor could do is do exactly what he's moving forward with, which is putting the formula into the Constitution and letting the people decide, because I think there's a lot of people that would have an opinion on that. I think a lot of people would want that into the the Constitution, for sure. But speaking of voting, we're going to finish up with this, people. So the mayoral election here in Anchorage is done. Bronson has been certified, and there are... Many things that came out of this, but listen, the main storyline and it started, it started early and it is only intensifying is voting integrity. Voter election integrity is probably the best way to put this. Now listen, Suzanne Downing wrote a story I reported live from the election office and that took off. And in that reporting, I could tell you, I just stated facts of what we had in the video that we obtained. That was it. I didn't make any insinuations. I just said it's strange. Like these events are strange. That's the only opinion given. Additionally, I did not even mention but one time a campaign. And the only reason I mentioned that campaign was because I know for a fact that campaign was tipped off as to what was going on. So from there, we have now seen that many on the Democratic side, the left-leaning side, have this narrative now. The narrative is this. Mail-in voting is secure. See, look what happened. Mail-in voting is secure. That came out days after that report. You heard it from the Assembly. You heard it from Forrest Dunbar. You heard it from top Democrats. You heard it pushed from the, 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 the any platform they could get. They heard it on social media. Mail-in voting integrity was great. And then a subset to that was, look how great our muni election officials are. Look how great they are. They're doing wonderful. There's no reason to think that there's anything going on. No reason. They've They've been great. Those were the two narratives pushed ever since that first initial report asking, hey, why is this going on? Why is the side door of the election office wide open at 11 o'clock at night after everybody was sent home? Why would any door be unlocked, let alone elections are going on? What about building security? So you have this narrative that's now being pushed that, hey, we Have solid mail-in voting elections. Look, we had the most turnout ever. Look, we, everybody, everything was great. We counted every vote that we could. Not only that, but the people that were doing it were beyond reproach. These were the two narratives coming out. Why? Why? And I'll tell you why. Because the Democrats need mail-in voting to have a chance. That's my narrative. Because you're not hearing this from the, lo- the right. You're not hearing this from conservatives. You're not hearing it from Republicans. As a matter of fact, here's the deal. When that first vote came, when, when election night came, the final day to vote, and they sent that first, that first string of uh, numbers out that showed that I believe Bronson was down 114 votes, their campaign was ecstatic. And you want to know why? You want to know why they're ecstatic? Because they knew that the votes that were cast on election day were primarily conservative Republicans. It's not even a dirty little secret. Conservatives vote on election day. Now, I voted by mail, I'm a conservative. But the majority of those who voted on election day were conservative. And that's a trend across the country. Conservatives show, Republicans show, to the polls. It's very clear. And that's a nationwide thing. Mail-in voting favors Democratic left-leaning individuals. Particularly in Alaska because, well, a couple things. Number one is that everybody gets a vote regardless if you're in the state or not. Meaning everybody gets a ballot. So people that don't even have a thing to do with politics can vote. Which still happens now, true. But it takes a little extra effort. You have to have a little more, quote, skin in the game to actually get to the poll. But not only that, you can ballot harvest here in Alaska. No problem. You can line up, go to... A building complex. Say, hey, we plan on voting. No, well, listen. You just fill out the letters. You just circle the little circle. You know, we're from the Dumbart campaign, or let's do this. We're from the Al Gross campaign, because I don't know if Forrest did that or not. So I'm not going to say he did, but I know for a fact Al Gross did. We're from the Gross cam- Al Gross campaign. Listen, we don't. We want to make this easy for you. You're in the middle of a pandemic. You don't have to go anywhere. We'll just take your vote for you. You just got to fill it out. Remember, Al Gross is going to come by and help you out. And I talk about this. That is the... I I believe this wholeheartedly that that's why District 27 went to Liz Snyder. Because when you vote, you vote down the ballot. But not only that, listen, the narrative didn't just hit there. Now the narrative, another narrative underneath that is, man, this election process, they were under such scrutiny. It was... Harassment. The election officials faced unprecedented harassment. So much so that that little uh, that little narrative got out to the Washington Post. And if you read, must read Alaska, Suzanne Downing wrote about this. Anchorage Muni clerk insults election observers as Washington Post picks up story and blames Bronson volunteers. So now the narrative, in addition to hey, look at how great our mail-in system is. In addition to, hey, look how great our election officials did. Now it's, well, look how bad the Bronson people were. Look how much scrutiny and harassment the election officials got. The bottom line is this. They were watched like nothing else because there were things that happened during that that while may have been just on the up and up, were not communicated well at all. They weren't communicated well. In addition to that, must Read Alaska has tapes of the, of the election officials' treatment, particularly of the Bronson volunteers. And let me tell you, I've heard them. They're not good. If those got out, it would not be good. It would change the way you would think about this, quote, narrative of harassment. It's not good. So now to get the Washington Post involved and make allegations now that are untrue, like ballots were being smuggled in was the word. Nobody said that. Nobody said ballots were being smuggled in. People were questioning why in broad daylight were you bringing in blank ballots into a counting area that's being used to count mail-in ballots. And was that communicated to both sides as a procedural issue? Nobody knows. So this idea that harassment of election officials, you know what it is? It's accountability. It's questioning. It's better communication. That's what needs to happen. Listen, go to the, go to the municipality charter. See how vague those subsections are in there. I went through it. It is vague. It is real vague. So yes, procedural accountability is crucial. Also, it's a it's, it's incumbent upon election officials to clearly articulate what's going on to both sides. I don't care if you're Forrest Dunbar or you're Dave Bronson. Both campaigns deserve to know what's going on at the same time. And no, just because, quote, Dave Bronson won doesn't mean that mail-in voting works doesn't mean that, election, that we shouldn't be holding our election officials accountable. No. It just means that we need to do that. You can separate the two. One does not mean the other. So that's what we got now. Listen. Mark my words. Watch this narrative. There's, there's four components to this. Number one, the biggest one, mail-in voting works. Number two, Our election officials are above reproach. Meaning, why do we need to watch them? Why do we need to have accountability? Why do we need to ask questions? They are above reproach. Number three, man, they were harassed. They were harassed. Unprecedented. And number four, lies about what was questioned. Nobody questioned the smuggling of votes coming in. People questioned why there were pallets of blank votes going in to the election office when counting was still happening, and the fact that even if it was a procedural thing, and it's part of the process, it wasn't communicated well, and thus the problem. Anyways, that's it for me, guys. Listen, there's a lot going on, and keep do not sleep on what's going on in your community right now. I'm telling you, it was a long, grueling mayoral campaign here in Anchorage, and it's easy to go, I'm done. But listen, politics, ideology, they don't sleep. They keep coming. So please, do not sleep on what's going on now. Because let me tell you, the Assembly has another nine months before re-election on four seats. And I guarantee you, they're going to try their darndest to make sure that they get what is considered right now a left-leaning Assembly their ideology out, particularly now that they have a conservative mayor. Oh, you, you mark my words that's going to happen. So do not sleep on what's going on in your community, whether you're in the municipality of Anchorage, whether you're up in Fairbanks, the Kenai, or anywhere in Alaska. Make sure you're diligent and watching. All right, that's it for me. Listen, we'll see you next week. Until then, enjoy the summer.